0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 26, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. The Colorado Civil War Monument statue in front of the state capitol and a statue in the Civic Center commemorating Christopher Columbus were torn down by small groups overnight in two different nights this week. Patti Calhoun from Westward, uh, there's been a lot uh, written about the Civil War Monument what is detailed on, on it, uh, because it is not uh, promoting the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Confederacy. It is a Union soldier, but it, can, it commemorates a lot of different things. When you look at this issue and the fact that people are pretty angry about it, want it replaced and fixed, it's bringing up a lot of other conversations. What stands out to you?
1: Well, how most people didn't get very comprehensive history lessons, whether they went to school in Colorado or elsewhere, ironies abound over the Civil War monument. It was established in 1909 by the Colorado pioneers. It's indeed a Union soldier, not a specific soldier, looking out. Underneath is a list of the battles of the Civil War that Coloradans died in. And what's interesting is listed there is Sand Creek, which was not a battle, it was a massacre of 200 Native Americans, descendants the Cheyenne, Arapaho, and they were in a peaceful camp that was flying the white flag under army protection when Colonel John Chivington and his bloodless third volunteer cavalry went and massacred them in 1864. And at the time, Congress, which had other things to worry about during the Civil War, did three different investigations and determined that it was indeed a massacre. But that got lost to history after a while. John Evans, who was the territorial governor who made it possible, he had had to resign, but 30 years later, he had a mountain named after him. It was listed on the uh, Civil War monument in 1909. It wasn't for another 90 years that the legislature decided, hey, maybe we should take that down and not list it as a battle. But instead, what happened is descendants and historians said, no, let's remember how history remembered this, but we'll put up an explanatory plaque. The plaque survived, but the statue came down on Wednesday night, and the following night, uh, a there's another monument in civic center which was donated by people who wanted to commemorate columbus ironically the statue isn't of columbus but the plaque below says it honors him and that came down too so we all need history lessons probably art lessons too but the discussions are going to keep going for a long time
0: david copel from the independence institute and du law school uh, you know, and this is—these were not um, angry mobs of hundreds of people. The, these were handfuls of people. Uh, authorities estimate four people toppled the Civil War monument overnight. And we are—we've already, already heard from Governor Polis, who said uh, an investigation will will follow. The statue will be repaired uh, and replaced. So, I, I don't know, you know, how how we mark this moment in in Denver and Colorado history, but. It seems odd to say the least. What's your take?
2: Well, the uh, monument, as it says on uh, several faces, was erected in memory of Colorado soldiers who died in the Civil War. And the cowards who uh, attacked uh, uh, a bunch of stone never had the courage and sprayed their hate slogans uh, at various places on the Capitol, never had the courage of those men who gave their lives to stop the expansion of slavery. And the, their greatest victory was in March of 1862, when those Coloradans saved Colorado and New Mexico from the Confederate invasion that had come from West Texas. And in March of 1862, there was the Battle of Glorietta Pass, where if the Confederacy had won, they would have broken through and come into Colorado. But instead, while the federal army was fighting at the front, uh, and along with other Coloradans. Some of the Coloradans found where the Confederate baggage train was, and so they went around through very difficult terrain. They crawled, slid, and roped down a very steep canyon for a surprise attack on the Confederate baggage train, and they destroyed all of the Confederates' army's invading army's supplies, and they thereby saved Colorado from being conquered by slavery. And by keeping Colorado's gold mines in the hands of the Union rather than the Confederacy, the Coloradans saved the United States itself, which is precisely why the racists and the Marxists want to destroy them. The vandals who were pretending to be social justice warriors, a name they certainly don't deserve, they not only attacked this memorial, they attacked the, they defaced the Capitol Memorial to the victims of Sand Creek, and they defaced The memorial to the victims of the Armenian genocide. They're not social justice warriors. They're nihilistic evildoers uh, in service of totalitarianism.
0: Eric Sonneman, a political analyst and a columnist with Colorado Politics. You know, I think of uh, one of the things you've talked about many times in this program, Eric, about uh, political capital, you know, keeping your powder dry for another fight. And I think about uh, some of the anger and protest around statues, and I feel it is a waste of political capital. Now, maybe not these statues. I think there's a real case about cultural history here, but even statues around the country, okay, on an offensive scale, you might be able to put them on, is this offensive or not? But is systemic inequities in education or uh, housing or anything else in society, which are much harder problems to solve, but much more important. Uh, something where that political capital should be spent. I know the thugs that 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 tore down, and I should rephrase, I apologize, the, the people, the vandals, I think that was actually uh, appropriate said there, uh, David, the handful of vandals who tore down these particular statues are uh, not people who are interested in some sort of uh, political capital making real change. But I know it impacts that possible change, that people can come together and you, you lose some of that momentum from a real movement that has uh, real reasons behind it. When you look at this situation, how do you think this affects the conversation moving forward?
3: I think to an extent, Dominic, you answered your own question. Uh, the, The people in the moment, in the passion of the moment, including these people who, whether you call them thugs or vandals, are not sitting around trying to have an intelligent debate on Friday television or viewing what hopes to be an intelligent debate on Friday television we're talking about different people. I think we can start by stipulating that Colorado, not unlike almost every other state, has some very sordid history in its past. The Sand Creek Massacre is very high up there on the list of such sordid episodes. The only one I can think of that might somewhat rival it would be the Ludlow Massacre, which was a union movement. But we can stipulate that there is sordid history, awful history, um, that we're dealing with and that we're renouncing and that we have to at some point Uh, incorporate into the Colorado story. I'm not at all wedded to these two statutes, either one in Civic Center Park, the one outside the Capitol, being there forever. But there's a process by which you have this conversation. You do not give in to vandalism, to thuggery, to mob rule and mob violence. Mob rule is ugly, whether it's coming from the social justice, righteous left, or whether it's coming from the right mob rule is something you want to avoid at all costs. And that is something we are flirting with.
0: Natasha Gardner, articles, articles, editor 5280. Uh, When you look at this, is is there room for conversation? Does this get us into a productive next step uh, as we're trying to really make some formative, effective change in our society?
4: Absolutely. I think conversation should be the goal in in all of these actions that are happening right now. I mean, I think it's important to point out this This is a very small um, moment that this was a sort of a small group of people doing this, that this is not a, a widespread mob mentality in Denver, but it does represent a lot of pain in various communities um, within Denver and throughout our country. And they're trying to be heard and they're trying to have conversations. I do believe that that is part of the goal here. And so whether you agree with the actions or not, not, I think everyone right now is obligated to take a look at the history books, to take a look at our our storied past, to see what stories we both missed, what stories we have amplified that don't deserve that amplification, and, and what we need to teach future generations Um, about what happens. I mean, the interesting thing about history, I mean, I love history, I was, was raised to appreciate it, but I was also raised to question it and to accept that a fact is a fact, but that our interpretation of that fact may change over time. And we're seeing that right now in real time, as people reevaluate the way that we feel about historic movements, about events that have occurred and how they might change the way that we live as both a city and a state and as a country going forward. So all those conversations are important and um to have it limited to one action i think simplifies a very complex issue
0: the movement against police brutality kept up its intensity this week protesters took over denver city council meeting uh this monday and last monday night demanding that the police be defunded governor polis announced yesterday that he is tasking attorney general phil weiser with investigating the death of elijah mclean mclean died in aurora police custody last year but his case only recently garnered national attention. David, we go to you first on this one. When you look at these, uh, the, the, the protests were happening within the Denver City Council, Council Chambers, what do you think the Denver City Council is actually going to do with it? Because a protest versus policy are two very different things.
2: Well, I, I think defund the police is, is probably going to be part of Denver's future one way or another, and a lot, as in lots of other places. Not absolutely zero funding, but, but fewer police on any given shift less ability to respond to multiple emergencies at once, more 911 calls where nobody comes in time, and as a result, a much higher violent crime rate, as we're all, we've already seen uh, in New York City and in Baltimore. And we know that typically the people who get victimized the most by that are the people in, in poor neighborhoods and people of color. So we will have a lot more uh, deaths of of black people and and others as a result of this. You know, Colorado actually tried to defund the police in its early history, uh, in the early years of the gold rush, in in, in the sense that there was no government capable of providing effective law enforcement. So people were were on their own, as is increasingly the case today. You know, back then, everybody carried a gun, not necessarily because they wanted to, but they had to. So then in January, 1960, there was this notorious group of thieves uh, that called the bummers. And their final straw was when they stole the turkeys uh, from a Mexican immigrant's wagon. And then when the bummers were threatened with punishment, they paraded and threatened to burn down the town, which is a pretty credible threat considering that all the buildings were just fairly rickety wood. But finally, the decent people formed a militia called the Jefferson Rangers. They had an armed standoff with the bummers and the bombers agreed to leave town rather than face hanging. You know it would be much better if people could count on the government to protect them. But when the government can't or won't, people do what they need to to protect themselves.
0: There are two major issues here, and in any other light news week, any of these would have been a major topic by itself or combining the two heres as part of a larger movement. You look at Governor Pulse's move with Elijah McLean, That's a pretty big deal. I, I personally can't remember the last time a governor stepped in to say the state's AG is going to take over a case like this. Um, but I do not consider myself a perfect historian. Maybe you remember. How big of a deal is this?
3: Well, I think it's a very big deal. I think topic one, Dominic sort of talked about the destructive power in terms of the vandalism of these statues, the destructive power of some people who have taken these protests too far. I think this topic we're talking about is more about the constructive power of this protest movement, whether we are talking uh, about the legislation that passed uh, the state legislature a week or two back and has now been signed into law, or whether we're talking about a, a, another look perhaps in some cases, a first really serious, intense look at the Elijah McClain case in Aurora. By all accounts, by every indication, something went badly awry there and somebody needs to be held responsible. I'm glad this is now getting not just local attention, but national attention. This is top of national news in terms of police abuse and potential police misconduct. Um, this gentleman, Elijah McCain, McClain, young gentleman went out to a convenience store, I think, to get an nice tea or something like that for his brother. Something went badly wrong when he never returned home, but instead ended up dead with a dose of carotene that is well in excess of any reasonable dose. And, and so on you go. So good for Governor Polis. Phil Weiser, the attorney general, is now very much on the hot seat in terms of how he handles this. But I'm confident he will handle it correctly.
0: Natasha, uh, again, two big issues. You have the Denver City Council facing two straight weeks of protests within its own chambers, and Governor Polis making, uh, I'm not sure if it's historic, but at the very least, um, a large point about putting the state's AG on a case. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, I think this week's episode is quickly turning into a history lesson on many many topics, and I think that's what's important when when the protest happens when when George floyd was killed and and people in America started reacting to that 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 was the impetus of the protests and in some of the discussions we're having now. but this question of police brutality, the question of um racism in America extends far be, be into the past um and it's so this is just the latest chapter and reiteration of that. I think that that what that means though is that it's looking at, okay, we marched in the streets. Now what? What policy changes will happen? Colorado has been very quick to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Denver react in a variety of ways on the city council or just on the city level. Um, But in addition to that, I think we also have evidence that the conversation is far from over because of of situations like what happened to Elijah. I mean, just think back at August 24th, 2019, it feels like a different world because it was in many ways, but what were any of us doing on that evening? evening. Elijah was walking home. And then a tragic thing happened. And it's time that we spend some, some moments and some, some, um, just some some of our our mental space to think about what happened to in in regards to his death and and to also find any other cases like that that are happening and i think in talking about those we'll be able to make further decisions about where police use of force is appropriate and what what changes we need to make to make sure it's more safe
0: patty I guess as we look at this uh i'm waiting to see what kind of reaction we're going to get from policymakers in the denver city council to what they've seen these last couple Mondays. And we've already seen the reaction from Governor Polis on this particular issue. Uh, So far, uh, what, what are you seeing that stands out as when it comes to reactions to these kinds of protests and these issues?
1: Well, a very first response is the city went into an agreement with the plaintiffs in a suit filed earlier this month about excessive force during the protests. And they've agreed on less lethal use of weapons and certain policies that have also been adopted by the state. The other thing we have to remember is that new law makes body-worn cameras very important for officers. And we can see just how important that was in the case of Elijah McA- McClain. He's walking home and someone calls 911 because he's wearing a mask and he's dancing. Now really that doesn't sound like such a dangerous thing. The cops come. You hear all about, they held him down, what happened, but we didn't get to see it because their body cameras became dislodged according to the Aurora police. The reason it didn't take off the way the George Floyd case did was because you didn't have video that people could share. Now people are looking again at this case in Aurora and realizing things went very, very wrong. So good for Governor Polis jumping on it, And finally, almost a year after he was killed, people might get justice for Elijah McClain. And also good for the city and the plaintiffs in the protest case that at least we have an agreement while the lawsuit makes its way through court.
0: As the U.S. Senate Democratic primary heads into its final days, John Hickenlooper and Andrew Romanoff and their allies rolled out a series of negative ads attracting attention and condemnation. As ads hit the airwaves, Hickenlooper shored up several major Democratic endorsements, including Jared Polis and Bill Ritter, and U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, meanwhile, a poll that came out from 9 News uh, and Colorado Politics showed Hickenlooper with a 2-1 to lead over Andrew Romanoff. Uh, Eric, we start with you on this one. I don't know if this is a fait accompli um, for Hickenlooper, but it does tell me that a whole lot of um, support had to get hauled out these last couple weeks. When I saw uh, tweets from all these different democratic elected officials and all these different negative ad competition on the air. That's a lot of, I guess we talked about it before uh, capital to spend in a primary. I'm not sure if he was thinking he's going to have to do that. When you look at this whole primary season, what are your takeaways?
3: Well, my first thought is I think we need to mention good wishes to Andrew Romanoff. He is out of the state as we speak because his father is gravely ill. Whatever your political loyalties, wherever they lie, uh, that is too bad. And uh, thoughts are with uh, Andrew Romanoff. To the race itself, I'm not sure it was ever a 12-point race that Andrew had Narrowed it to that gap, uh, which is where his polling showed it was a week or 10 days ago. That induced some people to comment, including a column I wrote, that perhaps an upset was possible. Um, That might have been, in fact, I'm I'm sure it was. Romanoff's high-water mark, if he ever narrowed it to 12 points or something in that ballpark. Whatever momentum he had, certainly stalled. I don't know if 30 points, which is what the Channel 9 Colorado politics poll showed, the, the Hick and Looper's advantage. I'm not sure it's a 30-point race. I'm also not sure it's a 12-point race. I don't think we're going to be up terribly late next Tuesday night, at least on this particular uh, race. I think it will be won handily. And lastly, Romanov, again, he's a very glib, bright, talented guy. But there is something missing in that political portfolio. And I think it has to do with instincts and it has to do with timing. And the ad that he brought up on the air was completely the wrong play just when he was starting to put himself in the conversation. Gardner and the Republican Party were going after Hickenlooper very, very hard. Andrew needed to put a different message up, something to draw attention to him, not to just throw one more negative shot, no matter how cute and clever it was.
0: Natasha, uh, primaries can get ugly, but it really just depends on how fast the primary winner can heal before the fall. Uh, is, did Hickalooper receive any injuries during this primary that he'll still be limping with uh, in the general?
4: Absolutely, I think the last month has had plenty of bad headlines for Hickenlooper. But in the fast-paced world that we live in right now, they may not be as relevant as they would in another election cycle. Um, the question will be how effective Gardner's team will be um, turning their attention to whoever the ultimate winner is, whether that is Hickenlooper or Romanoff. You know, and I think as those results come back in, we're we're going to see more interesting races on other areas of the bat uh, of the ballot, and um, in particular, I'm keeping my eye on Broomfield, which I just find myself doing more and more with every election cycle. I think um, Broomfield has become a very contentious political arena. There is a lot of issues that people care about strongly. um, So that's one that I'll be watching as the results come in.
0: Patty, it's a spicier primary season than we thought it would be a few months ago. Uh, What do you take away from it?
1: Well, and it could have been spicier yet. Let's return to last year at this time. We were talking about August 2019. Last year, Hickenlooper was still running for president. We had about 10 candidates who were looking for the Democratic nomination. And we had a very wide variety of candidates. We did not just have white males. We had six women, many of them people of color. And it was a really interesting discussion, which would have led to an incredible campaign right now, were any of them still in the primary? Instead, we have a choice of two long-term politicians. Even if Hickenlooper got into politics as a non-politician, that's clearly what he is now. And Romanov, he's spent most of his life in politics. He was a young leader, of the Speaker of the House, but he didn't learn some smart lessons because that attack ad on Hickenlooper, which went against one thing that's always been a Hickenlooper hallmark, which is clean campaigning, by his ad attacking the showers, Romanov just didn't need to go dirty, and it did hurt him.
0: David, primary season just a couple days away ends. Give us your take. Well, uh, apparently the movement in Hickenlooper's own internal polls was, was sufficiently worrisome that
2: the D.C. establishment really did have to come in pretty heavily on his side. You know, Senator Elizabeth Warren endorsed him, which might seem surprising on one hand because she's ideologically uh, closer to Romanoff. And in fact, when uh, Senator Warren and former Governor Hickenlooper were both presidential candidates, he criticized her a lot for having uh, ideas that were I- extravagantly unrealistic. But Senator Warren might be considered for President Joe Biden's cabinet, so it's sensible for her to help out the national democratic leadership and show she can work with them and be on their side. And since they're on Hicks side, she is too.
0: Time for a very fair part of the show. Disgrace of the week, as always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. Well, it's a
1: disgrace. We wish we didn't have to see the incredible rise again in COVID cases all around Colorado and Colorado is also bumping up a little bit, although certainly not as bad as California and Florida and Texas. But I just came back from heading up to Wyoming and Montana where It is very rare to see a mask. Everyone needs to behave a little better right now.
2: David. You know, we'd laugh at some guy who weighed 400 pounds and went around bragging about how slender he was. And yet we go along with pretending uh, to believe that people who brag about, some people who brag about being woke, are also ones who blindly obey Marxist organizations. As history shows in practice, there is very little difference
3: between Hitlerism and Marxism. Eric. I was going to go to the same place Patty went, but since she said it well, let me go elsewhere. Tucker Carlson, Fox News host, who has played and danced and flirted way too much with uh, white supremacists and, and that ideology, In the last week, a woman named Kay James, who is a conservative African-American woman who runs the Heritage Foundation, a very high profile conservative think tank, wrote a piece on her experience as a black woman in America. Uh, Tucker Carlson went on the air, disparaged her as a true conservative, urged funders to no longer fund the Heritage Foundation. It was outrageous.
0: Natasha. Natasha.
4: The increase in COVID cases was was going to be mine as well. So I'll switch um, and say that the news that Johnson and Wales Denver campus is closing. Um, understandable, there, there's good reasons for it, but I really hope that that historic campus um, in a very important spot in Denver finds a new use.
0: Time to say something nice about somebody rather quickly, Patty.
1: Well. Colorado's COVID response has been pretty level, and let's be glad that we've got cultural institutions rejoining the fray. History Colorado, Museum of Nature and Science, Denver Art Museum all came back this week.
0: David.
2: Colonel Hans Christian Heg was a Norwegian immigrant who led a group in Wisconsin called the Wide Awakes, and they were a militia uh, that protected uh, fugitive slaves from the, uh, from the slave catchers. And he gave his life fighting for the Union and against slavery at the Battle of Chickama- Chickamauga. And and then uh, just this week in Madison, Wisconsin, the communists and, and racists destroyed his statute. Stick with the wide awakes. Don't believe the foolishness of the people who proclaim that they're woke.
0: Eric. I'll be very quick. Happy birthday, Dominic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very kind, Eric. Natasha.
4: I will echo that as well. And um, just to flip the script a little bit, uh, there's been a lot of yelling this week about masks. And I just want to say thank you to the people in our community who are wearing masks. We're probably not taking that sort of positive spin on this often enough. So again, thank you everyone. We appreciate it.
0: Here, here, Natasha. Well said. Uh, some important reminders before we go tonight. First, We are off next week. We are presenting an encore of our trip in the Time Machine last year when we went to 1923. It's a pretty relevant conversation as we discuss Mayor Benjamin Stapleton and his history with the Ku Klux Klan. That's next Friday at 8 p.m. And before we go tonight, I want to say something nice about two very important people in my life. As uh, you heard Eric so kindly say, uh, today is my birthday, but I don't get to be here. That doesn't happen if it weren't for my parents. And on July 4th, which is Eric's birthday, but also on July 4th, uh, my parents, John and Marianne, will celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, Over these 50 years, watching them be best friends on the thrill ride of life has been an amazing honor, Uh, but what's more fun is to watch them now. Uh, They have been the very best model of love in its truest form. They take care of their friends and their family, but they always enjoy time with each other the most, and that is no small accomplishment. So on behalf of me, my siblings, Uh, our spouses, and your four grandsons, mom and dad. Happy anniversary. That's all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you so much for watching. For everyone here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you for watching. Good night.